0: Six. 5. You have discovered the 542 and the Blue podcast, discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains. Hosted by Scott Lansford, retired police detective sergeant, author and researcher. 4. Three. 2. 1. Scott, the microphone is now on. Thank you, ladies. Welcome to today's Shade of Blue for 542 and the Blue. Today's Shade of Blue story is a strange disappearance that occurred in the mid-1960s. A Mary Little was a secretary at the CNS Bank in 1965. The bank is now called the Nations Bank. She is missing from Atlanta, Georgia not necessarily a part of the appalachian mountain areas where we tend to focus our conversations and stories but there are several connections to north carolina and the mountains in this investigation mary was dining with the friend in Lenox square in the buckhead district of atlanta previously she had been to the grocery store buying items for dinner party she and her husband were to put on the following evening the restaurant they were in was nice and expensive and a very popular place to go the overall area made up of restaurants and expensive shops it was a new development and fairly well lit by street lights most of us today are that have been to atlanta are very familiar with Lenox square as it exists today now this area at that time and today considered very safe and no one could understand how a lady could simply vanish from there On Thursday, October 14th, 1965, as we said, Miss Little was having dinner with a friend who worked with her at the same bank she worked at. She was just married and her husband worked at the bank too. On the night of the 14th, he was actually away on bank business and out of town. After dinner together, she and her friend parted, this being the last time she was seen in Atlanta. She appeared to have simply vanished. The next morning, concerned supervisor at the bank, her boss, called to find out why she hadn't made it into work yet. Unable to get her on the phone, her friend from the night before suggested that they look for her car that she had parked in the shopping mall. Now, it was later relayed to the police that this was totally out of character for her not to show up for work, not to call and say she was going to be late, not to call and say she was sick. Apparently, she was very good at keeping her employers informed. Her boss at the bank first contacted the manager of the shopping mall to ask if her car was still parked there. After some investigation, he was told that it was not. Now, out of curiosity, however, the supervisor went by the parking lot for himself at lunch, was shocked to see Little's car was there. In the spot, her friend had said had been parked the previous night. Groceries were observed in the back seat of the car, as well as some blood. The police were called immediately. Arriving officers and detectives found Little's underwear folded up in a very neat pile sitting in the car, although it looked like a section of one of her stockings had been cut, and this now laying on the floor of the vehicle. Mary's outer clothes, her purse, her coat, her jewelry, her platinum wedding band, And her car keys were missing and have to this day never been found. Along with the blood there were also pieces of grass stuck on the passenger seat and in some of the blood. Now some detectives were of the opinion that the scene appeared to have been staged due to the smearing of the blood and the small quantity of the blood. One forensic supervisor weighted the amount of blood to what you might have with a simple nosebleed. There was also an unidentified fingerprint in the blood on the steering wheel. Even today in 2019, this print has not been identified. Local media covered the missing person situation, running stories of Miss Little's disappearance and the belief that she had somehow met with some form of foul play. Photos of her were published and distributed, along with requests for people to be on lookout for her And provide police with any information they might have. It was unacceptable that a person could have been abducted from an area that was so popular and always full of people particularly in the early evenings. Also it was speculated that it was unusual how could a person have been assaulted and her undergarments removed or been forced to remove without anyone seeing it there in the parking lot. Now Detectives and investigators had other thoughts. It was more likely that an abductor had forced her into her car, driven her away, then forced her to strip. The manager of the shopping center was positive that the car had not been there when he had looked in the morning, when he had received the call from the bank. The kidnapper had to be particularly confident to have not only abducted her amid and in the middle of a busy area, but also to have then returned her car to the exact same parking spot it had been in, unconcerned about being seen. It was thought the missing woman would not be found alive and a huge manhunt was set up. A woman reported being accosted by a man in the same location, Lennox Square Shopping Mall parking lot, shortly before Mary would have been walking to her car. Authorities believed that the man had something to do with Mary's disappearance but it was never verified and he was never identified. The search for Mary extended. Even the military got involved. Planes from the local military bases were brought in to cover the area and help with the aerial search, though the police had no idea of a possible direction of travel for her at that time. Friends and co-workers were interviewed who told the police that, that she had recently begun to be very anxious and nervous. Some of them had said that they were aware that she had become nervous about being alone, whether in her vehicle or at home. There was also an anonymous bouquet of flowers she mysteriously received, traced to a local florist, but with no lead on who had sent them. And a phone call overheard by some of her coworkers in which she had expressed concern that the caller not phone her again. Now that was about it. There was some speculation that Mary's disappearance may have been connected or related to a sex scandal at her place of employment about the time she had vanished. The bank had hired a former FBI agent to investigate claims of sexual harassment and a possible prostitution ring being run on the property. Mary apparently knew about the scandal, but it was never determined if it had anything to do with her disappearance. Now looking at our first link to North Carolina, after being missing for a month with no new leads, two North Carolina gas stations notified police that Miss Little's credit card or gas card had been used at their locations. The attendants at different locations reported the gas cards being used. The first was a garage in North Carolina where it had been used in the early morning hours of her last sighting. The gas attendant said it was a woman who had used the card and the signature appeared to match that of the vanished woman, according to investigators. Sometime later, at a second gas station, it was used again and again her signature appeared to match her original signature. Now the attendant slash clerk at the first gas station said that the woman appeared to be trying to hide her face and he believed she had a cut on her forehead. She was with a man who was telling her what to do. According to the attendant at the second location, the situation appeared to have deteriorated considerably. The attendant said that the woman had blood running down her legs and that she was in the company of not one but two men neither of these two men were ever found nor were they ever identified Miss Little was never seen again. Authorities believe that whoever drove Mary's car to the lot may have kept it hidden on the night of her disappearance only to return it to the initial parking spot later. This theory has never been proven. If the car was in fact moved it would have been at about the same time that Mary allegedly was seen in North Carolina purchasing gas. The credit card had been used in the early morning hours of October 15th in Charlotte approximately 12 hours later again in Raleigh. Now this was puzzling to the investigators. Not only was Charlotte's Mary's hometown and the city where her family resided but Raleigh was only two to three hours away by car and there was a 12-hour span between the two gas purchases. The long span of time between credit card usages seemed strange, considering the short traveling distance between the two cities. Authorities speculated that perhaps whoever had Mary was trying to lead the investigation away from Atlanta. The signatures on the credit card receipts read Mrs. Roy H. Little Jr. and again appeared to be in Mary's handwriting. Using Royce, her husband's, mileage logs that he kept on the vehicles and Mary's odometer at the time the vehicle was discovered, investigators estimated that the car had been driven only 41 miles. That could not be accounted for. And 41 miles is not as far that it would take to drive from Atlanta to Charlotte. Now the second link to North Carolina, another odd piece of evidence, Emerged when the license plates on her Mercury Comet turned out to be a Charlotte, North Carolina license plate that had been stolen in mid October. Mary's car was legally registered in Georgia and had been fitted with Georgia tags. Investigators believe that the stolen plate was a clue as to why her vehicle had not been located by Lennox Square Security before her bank supervisor drove to the lot and discovered. car himself. Now our third link to North Carolina. $20,000 ransom demand was made for Mary after news about the credit card slips came out. An anonymous caller had called the husband and said to go to an overpass in the Pisgah National Forest in Western North Carolina and find further instructions posted on a sign. An FBI agent went to this location in Roy's place and only found a blank piece of paper stuck to the sign. The caller did not contact the little family again and also has not been identified. The ransom demand is suspected to be a hoax. Another odd connection to North Carolina was that around the Charlotte area about this same time, various writings on bathroom walls and mirrors at public places that were allegedly done by Mary Little were brought to light. These were determined later to be hoaxes or cruel jokes. Now over the decades since her disappearance the Atlanta Journal obtained copies of the investigative files of the missing person case through the Freedom of Information request. Reporters and private investigators went through the files line by line by line looking for something missed by the original police investigators. Now as is typical in very old open investigation cases, files and documents are missing from these case files. Now reviewing what they did have, nothing new was discovered that would help solve the mystery of her unexplained disappearance. And today, the investigation remains open with no new leads to a possible location of a body. Now, in May 1967, 18 months after Mary vanished, another young woman who also worked at the same bank was murdered. Diane Shields was a secretary from Gunterville, Alabama. She took over Little's position after she had disappeared. She worked at Mary's old desk with her former co-workers, at one point even rooming with them in a Buckhead Georgia rental house. On May 19, 1967, Shields left work in her blue and white Chevy Impala. Each point Georgia police spotted the car around 2.30 a.m. while they were doing business checks near the drive-in window of a laundry on Sullivan Road. Blood was dripping from the rear end of the vehicle. They found the keys, and opening the trunk, they found Shields' body crammed upside down between a spare tire and a cardboard box. Among other things, the box strangely contained a copy of Betty Crocker's new Dinner for Two. Shields had planned to be married in July. Her fully clothed body had no indication of a sexual assault. She was still wearing a diamond engagement ring, a scarf, and a piece of paper had been stuffed down her throat as if to silence her. If there was anything on that particular piece of paper, it has not been released or made common knowledge being held, I'm sure, back by the detectives in their ongoing investigation. Atlanta investigators speculated that Mary and Shields' cases might be connected. Due to the similarities, in their disappearance and the fact that the woman worked together but eventually that theory was discarded Shield's homicide like Mary's disappearance remains unsolved there is one other potential connection though between the Shield's homicide and the little missing person investigation one point that was never reported originally Shield had told her closest friends back home in gunnersville that she was working undercover with police trying to solve the disappearance of a woman named Mary. She was remembered as telling her friends, quote, they want me to work with them so we can close this case, her friends recall her saying. Others state that Sheil was uncharacteristically secretive in the months before she died, unusually not showing up for appointments and vanishing for hours without explanation. None of the surviving detectives know of any involvement by Shields in the Little investigation. There is a question, perhaps maybe one of the detectives, maybe Jack Perry, who was Atlanta's lead investigator in the case, may have gave her his card and asked her to keep her eyes open if she saw anything while she was working in uh, Little's office and living with Little's roommates. Perhaps he asked her to contact him if she saw anything that gave her paw. He has never said that he indicated her to work undercover in any way whatsoever. And again, both of these cases are still open. If you would like to find out more, there's lots of information on the internet. There are two or three websites particularly dedicated to these particular cases. Take a look at them. You might find something of interest. You might find a clue that has been overlooked we don't know so in the meantime stop by my website scottlunsfordauthor.com. check out my website check out my books see if you might be interested in purchasing some or reading some of them they are available at amazon.com as well as links to these podcasts and information on how to contact me through the contact page of the website happy to hear from you any comments questions opposing viewpoints thank you ladies and thank you my listeners as always i would i wish you to be safe and be secure alice you're on four three you have been listening to the five four two in the blue podcast with your host. Retired police detective, Sergeant Scott Lunsford. At scottlunsfordauthor.com. You can link to more podcasts and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message page This is Alice. Thank you for listening. 2, 1. End. Background Theme Mystery Sacks by Kevin McLeod. Incompetent.com. Licensed under Creative Commons.